Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. We are in a series called Mom and Dad, and uh, as a father of four kids, the, my oldest is seven, we have twin girls that are four, and uh, I have my youngest is two and a half. I was a, I'm, a, I'm a desperate father, is what I like to say. I was a cocky father with one. I thought we had it together and was pretty good. Then we had four, and it got real desperate after that. And so I'm excited to learn with you today. I'm excited to grow with you today. Uh, and we believe this series, though, is it's for anybody. It's for anyone. But mom and dad, whether you are together in one home, whether you're a single mom or single dad, whether you share custody with kids, whether you are in a blended family, whether your kids are younger or middle school or high school, college, or out of your house, uh, we believe that God's got something specifically for you as a mom and a dad. And that's what, the reason why I know that is because the Holy Spirit's here. And the beautiful thing about church is you don't come just to hear a person speak. It's so cool that you come and we can all hear the same thing being said and talked about, yet the Holy Spirit comes and shows you how it uniquely applies to you. And so wherever you are in your journey as a mom or dad, I believe God's got something specific for you that he wants to show you, something he wants to impart into you, some wisdom he wants to give you. But this is not just for moms and dads. I believe for those of you that are married but don't have kids yet, this is for you as well. Why not learn now uh, some of the things that we all wish we learned before we had kids, right? Uh, Here's what I know about me. I can beat anybody in a foot race. Yeah, don't let these skinny jeans fool you. Uh, Put me up against a 100-yard dash, and I will beat anyone of you. doesn't matter how old you or young you are. How fast you are, here's why all I need is a big enough head start and I can beat anybody, right? And so why not, as, as people who are married, get a head start and learn what it's like, a little bit about what it's like to get some things in order to eventually someday be a mom or a dad instead of, you know, until you finally have a tiny human and you're completely exhausted trying to figure out what do I do with this thing, you know? And so why not learn now some things before you get in there? And those of you that are single, hey, this could be for you as well because you may not be someone's natural mom and dad, but come on, you might be someone's spiritual mom or dad. You might be a city group leader. You might be a team leader. You are a leader, and there are principles we're going to talk about that will apply to you as well as we are uh, together as a church helping lead and impart into our young people. And hey, even if you're a young person and maybe your mom and dad, I mean, they're just struggling, and so they really didn't do some of the things that they should have done. That's okay, but you know, God says he's a father to the fatherless. And so some of these things you can actually just apply to your life and let God show you and father you and mother you on how to lead some of these things out. And so wherever you are, man, we're, we're here for you. And I want you to know that as well we're here to help you today. Like, I'm not here to make you feel bad about being a bad mom or a bad dad. Like, I don't think you need help with that. Many of us really don't, right? And when I do my research and I read books on what it means to be a mom or a dad, I walk away and go, man, I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I need help. I need help, right? I almost title our message, Why I Stink as a Parent, but I feel like that would mess up with your confidence in what I'm about to say, so I decided not to. But I don't think you need help knowing what you're not doing or what you should be doing. Uh, that's not our goal today in, or in this series. Our goal is to help you, is to come alongside of you and to strengthen you. Hey, you're here, right? You're in the room. You're, uh, you're with us online. Uh, you're winning. 
Yeah, your kids are here, you're, you're winning. They might have two different colored shoes on right now, but they're here and you're winning, you know? They might've eaten a Nutrigrain bar for breakfast, you know, but they are here and you're winning. You might be online with us right now and it may be complete chaos and they've just gotten into your makeup bag and put mascara everywhere. You might wanna go for a second check to see if that's true. But you're winning because you've got church on in your living room, wherever you're at. So you're winning and we're here to help you. Let me say this too, when we talk about what we talk about in this series, um, uh, it may come off a little radical, and by radical, I mean countercultural to what people say or what you see a lot of people doing as parents. Uh, but here's what we're not going to do. I'm not giving you my opinion, my perspective. This is a Mike's thoughts on parenting. We're going to give you the Bible. And we're going to see what the Bible says about how we're to parent and lead our children. But I'm going to warn you, a lot of these things aren't going to come off like normal. Like this is not how normal people that we see right now in the world parent. But... I don't know about you, I look around at what our young people are going through and working through, and I don't think normal's working. And so I think, is there something better than normal? Is there something more divine, more biblical, more supernatural, more vision-oriented that God has for you and your children that we wanna learn about today? And so that's, that's the heart, that's the goal today. So wherever you're at, we're here for you. And how about we pray this morning, right? Come on, we need the help, we need God's help, come on. Father, here we are this morning, we, we acknowledge you. Father, your word says that we acknowledge you in anything that we do and you would make our path straight. So right now we acknowledge you, God. We all represent different families, different situations, unique uh, journeys that we all have. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make this message come alive to us. God, impart into us, give us wisdom, give us strength. God, give us encouragement. Speak to our hearts today, Lord. So we acknowledge you today. We lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. All right, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm going to get there in a second, but because it's kind of sandwiched into the Old Testament, I'm going to give you a moment to try to find it there. Uh, but I want to say this as a dad, I, there's nothing more than I love than being a dad. It's one of my favorite things to be is a father. Uh, it's one of my favorite roles. Though it's one of my favorite things, I will say at times it's the thing that I feel sometimes least qualified or ill-prepared to be right, as a dad. Even though I grew up in a great family and I had great parents who really raised me in the right way, they weren't perfect, but they were great parents and really helped lead and guide and shape my life. Still now, as a father, I still struggle to really figure out and wrap my mind around what it looks like to be a dad. And I think the reason why is it's our kids. It's their fault. And uh, <laughs> here's the what. Uh, no one did you think that was funny. I thought it was hilarious. All right. Uh, here's the thing about kids. Um, just when you think you've got them figured out, they change. And that's what makes things challenging as a parent, right? You've got this infant, you know, some of you've got infants and you finally got them sleeping through the night. And you're like, yes, five, six hours, uninterrupted sleep. And like, you've got this thing, you're good. Like parenting, you got it down. What's the problem? And then all of a sudden they change on you. And this little tiny human starts teething, right? And now they just wake up in the middle of the night angry, right? And all that work that you had worked towards is just being messed up because this little baby is screaming and in pain and doesn't know why. And so you're trying to diffuse a bomb at two in the morning. It's like, do I give them the dissolved tablets? Do I give them the pacifier, to the frozen cloth? My great grandma told me to rub tequila on their gums. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know what it is. Or do I take the tequila? I can't remember what she said. At two in the morning, it gets foggy, you know? But they change on us, right? When your little babies used to be able to just like sit them on the ground and then surround them with some pillows in case their big old head tipped them over, you know, and you could just leave them there and they wouldn't go anywhere. But then they change. And all of a sudden they start walking and have an affinity for your wall outlets. You know what I mean? You want to jam stuff in there. So you got to change the way you parent. And then they go to school, right? 
and they start learning math that you never learned when you were in school. And so you're trying to figure out this kind of math and it's like, what is this thing that your teacher has brought to you right now? I cannot help you whatsoever. We shall Google it together, you know? And then they get to middle school, you know, and they change every 10 minutes. They're changing on us, you know? And then it's like, hey, they go drive and I gotta learn to teach a kid how to drive. Lord Jesus, help us. And then they get into college and then they get married. And here's what happens. A lot of that just, we wanna be good parents in the midst of that. And we wanna be able to parent that well. And we want our homes to be homes of peace and love and just good vibes, you know? But with all the changes that are happening, many times our homes don't feel very peaceful. They feel more chaotic. And parenting can tend to be more reactionary instead of intentional. We become more reactional as parents instead of intentional. Not that you won't have moments of being reactional, but pretty soon if all you're doing is just dealing with the chaos, everything just becomes, stop that, don't do that, sit up, sit down, get to your room, stop, I'm gonna count to two, I'm gonna count to three, now I'm counting to five, you better watch, you know, and everything becomes reactional. And so it's like, hey, God, how do we lead my family? How do I raise kids as a mother, as a father uh, in an environment that seems pretty chaotic right now? And here's what we're gonna do, we're gonna ask God. Hey, we're gonna invite God into our families today. We're gonna invite God into your parenting. We're gonna invite God into the way you lead and say, God, help us. Because here's what I know about God. God is not a God of confusion. He's not a God of chaos. In fact, God comes into moments and situations of chaos and he brings order, he brings pattern. He brings a rhythm that allows things to grow and to flourish. That's what he did in the beginning. Book of Genesis says the earth was formless and void and there was actually chaos in the world. And God came and he spoke and he brought order and seasons and patterns and created something out of chaos into an environment that really cultivated and nurtured and flourished life. That's what God does. That's how God builds. And that's God's passion and vision for your home. That within the four walls of your house, that there is a rhythm, there's a cadence, there's an order. That when you apply and put them into practice, into your life, your home becomes an environment where your children grow and they flourish. Not that it won't be crazy at times, not that it won't be loud at times, but there's this environment, there's this rhythm, there's this pattern that God provides for us. That when we apply it, our children begin to grow and flourish in Him. So where do we find this pattern? We find it in scripture, right? We find it in the Bible. Now, let me say this about the Bible and parenting. The Bible actually, what's challenging, it's not full of examples of really good parents. Like if you read the Bible, there's like great men and women of God that were horrible parents. And so in one way, like I take solace in that. I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm not the only one that's like kind of not got this parenting right. But at the same time, what we do find in scripture is God, who is the Father, the perfect Father, the, the, the faithful Father, the loving Father, who authored the book, right? It's written by man, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He laid out for us patterns, rhythms, a cadence to how we're to lead our life, that if we begin to apply them, we're going to see things begin to change and shape into our life. So here with me, hopefully you found it by now. If you didn't find it, you ain't never finding it, so it'll be up on the screen. First Kings chapter eight. I'm gonna start in verse 56, work our way through to verse 58. It says this in the message paraphrase. It says, blessed be God who has given peace to his people. See, that's what God gives. God gives peace. He doesn't give your home chaos. He doesn't give your home uh, confusion. He gives your home peace. Jump down to the next verse. May he keep us centered and devoted to him, following the life path he has cleared, watching the signposts, walking at the pace and rhythms he laid down 
for our ancestors. Do you catch it? Do you, do you see a little bit of a pattern there? That this life that you live, as you follow God as a mom and as a dad, one that has God centered at your life, one that has these signposts set up for you to, to look at, one that has a path that is cleared out for you, that your specific place you're supposed to walk towards. There's this rhythm you're supposed to walk with your family on, that as you begin to apply these types of things in your life, you begin to see an environment of peace in your home. So we see this pattern here where God is at the center, we lead with vision, and we establish a rhythm of rest. That's what we're looking at here. We're looking at this pattern where God's at the center. We're going to lead with vision, and we're going to establish a rhythm of rest. And the goal here today is not just that we would just discover this, but we'd actually begin to put it into practice. Like this idea is not that you're going to be a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. We don't want you to be perfect in this. The goal is to practice it. Not to just try it once, but to practice. My son's in baseball, and so when I take him to practice, we have this common thing we constantly say. Say, Ford, why do we practice? He goes, so we get better. I'm like, yeah, exactly. That's why we practice, to get better. And that's the goal. We practice these things not to be perfect, but to get better at being the mom or the dad that God has called us to be. And so we're going to put this into practice, this practice of putting God at the center of our families, this practice of leading with vision, and this practice of establishing a rhythm of rest. So let's think of the first one, God at the center. Look at that verse again. It says, may he keep us centered and devoted to him. The first thing that has to come in order in line as a parent is I have to make sure that God is at the center of my child's life. You have to understand that this child is an eternal being with an eternal destiny, that the moment they were conceived, regardless of how they were conceived, they are conceived and they are in their mother's womb. There is a destiny and a purpose that is tied to that child. And that destiny and purpose will never be fully realized unless God is at the center of their life. So one of the primary responsibilities that I have as a parent is to train and lead my child to where their dependency moves from me until it is solely dependent on God. Yeah, I want them to do a lot of stuff and I want them to grow and I want them to have the best experiences in life. And one of the primary purposes as a mom and her dad of an eternal being that God has given me the responsibility of is to teach them and train them and to show them that their dependency no longer is on me, but it slow, slowly and then solely rests on God. God has to be at the center. Now, the way we do this as a parent is not we just don't just teach them. We don't just say it. We don't just drag them to church. Actually, this type of thing is it's parent lived and then child imitated. Like the best, the, the way that we keep God at the center, me as a pa parent, okay, I want God to be the center of my child's life. The question I have to ask myself is, is God at the center of my life? And why that's challenging is because it's very easy in life for other things to become the center of our life, especially children, right? It's easy to become child-centric in our life. Why? Because we want good things for our kids, right? We all want good things for our children. We always want them to have better than what we had. Even if we had a great life and we had a lot of stuff, we always want our kids to have more and to experience more and to have more and to do more. And so what do we generally that does? That sets us on this course where we have to work multiple jobs to provide for everything we want to give them. Or we take certain jobs that require us to travel and be away from the home. But guess what? At least it gives us the money that we need to get everything that they, they want. However, it pulls us away from the one thing they need 
eat, which is time with us. But we says we just want them to have better. We want them to have more. We want the best vehicle for them with the highest safety rating and leather for their little tushies. And we want the very best for our children. And we want them to get into a good school. And so we just, beginning at the age of six, begin to max out their extracurriculars. So I got them in ballet. I got them in dance. I got them in baseball and soccer and drama club. I got them in karate. And pretty soon you're just a glorified Uber, you know? I was so funny. I literally was running this morning. And I was running. There was this one car was parked inside the road. This big suburban and it had a personalized plate that said mom taxi. And I was like, that's exactly it. That's what you are. You are a mom and dad taxi. You're an Uber, except they don't pay you and don't give you good ratings. They just destroy your cars. <laughs> Next thing you know, you look under the seat and you've got an in and out fry that's been there for God knows how long, but long enough to have an ecosystem developed around it. So we're running from here to here to there to there because I got to get them in all the best of the best. I want them to get the best school. I want them to get the best car for when they drive. I want everything what happens. It's not bad. But if we're not careful, what begins to happen is the child becomes the center of our life instead of God. And as a parent, I have to be able to teach and put into an order, a pattern, a rhythm that as far as we are concerned, me, my family, we keep God at the center. Because if God isn't at the center, there is no rhythm. There is no pattern. It's everything. And I know it sounds really churchy for me to say that, but hey, you came to church. So guess what? You're going to hear churchy stuff. And I know that sounds like pastor speak, but it is everything for your child. God, Jesus, he gave this story. He was telling in one of his sermons in Matthew chapter seven, he gives this kind of example of what life looks like when God is at the center of your life. And then what a life looks like when God isn't at the center of your life. And he goes, imagine a beautiful home that's gorgeous and everything is just right about it, but it is built on this sand foundation. It's not a good foundation. When the storms and the winds of life come, that house, no matter how beautiful it looks, will crumble. He says, however, but when you build a home on a solid foundation of rock, when life does come against it and the storms and the waves come, it stands up to the test. It stands up to the temptation. That is what we're talking about. What would it be that as a parent, that I would make sure my kid had every experience, that everything they ever would want, everything they'd ever dreamed, they get into the right schools and have all the right friends, yet I did not give them the foundation of Jesus Christ of their life. It's like I've built a home on sand. And when life does come at them, and it will, when they get knocked on their butts, guess what? They will struggle with their life because their foundation hasn't been formed at God at the center. However, at the parent, at the very least, if I'm not able to do everything I can for them, but I at least give them God at the center of their life, that's a foundation that is sure. When things do happen to them and they encounter and experience resistance and pressure, they'll stand up to it. They won't falter. And if they get knocked down, they get back up right again because they have a foundation of Jesus Christ at the center of their life. It's everything. God at the center. Let me give you some handles on this because what does that look like then is God at the center, right? Well, let's think of it this way. Look, hey, if God is at the center of my life, that means then it's this life is not just about going to church every Sunday and that's it. Like God should be involved every day of my life, right? There should be a moment of every day where I interact with God. We call it a quiet time, small, whatever you want to call it. What if we began to teach our children and train them? Hey, we're going to spend time with God a little bit every day. What if you walk through a scripture together with them? What if you bought a devotional, a kid devotional and said, hey, as a family, once a week, or three times a week, right? Because, hey, man, if you're not doing this at all, maybe not try seven every day for the whole week. It may not work. Let's practice. Maybe let's try three. Three days a week, you're going to get a devotional, and we're going to go through it together as a family. There's a couple I found that I like, really like. There's a pastor named Levi Lusco. He just put one out called Roaring Like a Lion. It's actually on Good Morning America a couple days ago. 90-day devotional with your kids. 
Really great. Uh, go through it with them. There's another one by a pastor named Louis Giglio. He did one called Indescribable. 100-day devotional with your kids. Like, just start a rhythm of doing it. Now, let me tell you, you're going to try this. Uh, it may feel like you're hurting cats when you do it, right? Like, it may not be the super spiritual moment that you think it's going to be. You know, it's like, hey, let's call the worship team up right now, you know, and let's get a moment with Jesus, you know. It, it may be pretty crazy. But that's okay because this is about a rhythm. Look at kids, what stands out to a kid is what is repeated. So, you know, you might do it in your pre, you know, your, your middle schooler might be rolling their eyes like, is it over yet? You know, and your three-year-old may be trying to rip the pages out of the book and your seven-year-old may answer every question about the devotional you have with just one word and that's butt crack. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know what? That's funny, but not appropriate when I ask, where did David hit Goliath with the rock? You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> all right, I get it. You know that word, that's funny. I, so it may not feel feel like super like, oh, we're really covering ground. No, listen, it's about teaching them. It's about training them. It's about modeling and living it and let them imitating it with you. Y'all with me, right? It's, it's about imitating. Say, hey, look, eventually they're going to have their own relationship with Jesus. So what we're going to just teach them is what does it look like now, right? How about we get involved in church? Like teach your child, hey, when we go to church, church isn't just about coming late and leaving early. I mean, you're a parent. You're probably going to come late every once in a while, like late and sweaty. Like that's the Robert's MO, right? We come wherever we're going, we're coming late and we're sweaty because I got a million kids out of my, my car, right? But when you come, let them see you not just coming to just sit. Let them see you participating in church. Because if God's at the center of my life, then I'm a part of a local church and I'm here to build it. I'm here to help it. So serve with your kids. Like, let them come along with you. I know Pastor Jude said this last week. I loved it. I was challenged by it. He's like, hey, hey, your kid could hold a sign. I'm like, you know, you're right. My seven-year-old, he could hold a sign welcoming people. I'm going to do that. I'm going to teach him. Hey, we don't just come to church to get Bible bucks and buy six nerd ropes and eat them before I know you got them. <laughs> It's about being a part of something bigger than yourself and being a part of and serving. Teach them that. Like, don't let them just see you bounce out early. Stick around. Make them moan and groan asking you to leave because you're still talking to people. Because let them see that this life of following Jesus and God at the center is about being in community with people. Let them see it. They may get frustrated. They may not understand it. It's okay. We're living it and we're going to have them imitate us, right? Come on, live it that way. Hey, memorize verses with your kids. Have them start, you, you too, what, what, what an incredible way to get the word of God in their heart now at a young age. My son and I, we do this right now. We, we memorize verses. We mostly do it because a couple years ago, he came back from school one time saying a bad word, uh, one of the big ones, and in context, actually. And I was like, oh boy, here it is. That moment has been thrust upon me as a parent. So we had the conversation. Hey, listen, where'd you hear that playground? Okay, well, you know, listen, just because you're a word on the playground, if you don't understand it, don't say it. You come ask daddy and I'll tell you if it's a bad word or not. So he asks me every word now. It's like, I, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's a good word. But I had a moment though. He went to bed. I actually had a moment where I was, I was mourning a little bit. I'm like, man, like that young, he learns this word. I never knew that word for a long time. And now it's taken up headspace, you know? And so I was, I was mourning and immediately the, the spirit of God, he really ministered. He spoke to my heart. He said, Mike, he's like, teach him my word it'll be more powerful than the word that's trying to get up in his brain right now. And so I said, okay, that's what we're going to do. We're going to start memorizing scriptures together. And so we take a verse and it may take a couple of weeks, but we're going to memorize the verse. And what we do before we go to bed most nights is we go every other. We've got about 26 verses we memorize. I do one, he does one, I do one, we do one. And then we swip, swap the next night. Like work with your kids. Let them see you memorizing scripture. It's amazing the scriptures that you learn, right? And how you get those things in your heart. So teach them, train them. At the worst case scenario, here's what you need to do. Ask. You're part of a great church with some amazing parents who are a little bit farther along than you are, maybe have more kids than you have. 
and they have learned and they've put things into practice about putting God at the center of their family's life, like ask them, hey, how do you do this? Will you teach me? Will you show me? So at the very least as a parent, don't, don't suffer alone. Don't go this by yourself. You're not alone. You're in church. You're with amazing men and women, parents that will be able to, to speak to where you're at. So come on, let's ask and let's apply. But we're going to keep God at the center, right? So we're keeping God at the center. The next thing we're going to do is we're going to lead with vision. We're going to lead with vision. That part of that verse that says, hey, follow the life path he has cleared. Did you catch that? Follow the life path he has cleared. There is a, a path. There is a vision for your family. There is a path for your children, every one of them, to walk and to run and to follow God in. It's about vision. You know what I've, I've learned? If, if, if parenting is just, um, if it's just rules, if it's just rules and do this, don't do that, timeouts, go to your room, stop that, I'm counting to two, I'm counting to five, I'm counting to 10. Like if that's all it is without vision, it's, it breeds rebellion and frustration in your child because there's something on the inside of him that knows there's more than that. And there's actually, it's scriptural actually in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, check this out, it says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints, but blessed is he who keeps the law. I mean, if there's no vision, if there's not something to be running towards, man, it gives room for rebellion and pushback. One of my observations about people and especially about young people is this, they don't just need rules to live by, they need something to live for. They need something to run towards. They need something that's bigger than themselves that says, hey, we're doing this, we're going that way. So that when you correct and you adjust the behavior, you're pointing them into something more than just that. You're not just saying, hey, we don't do that. You're saying, hey, we don't do that because that's not who you are. You are this person, you are this young lady, you are that young man. That is not how a Roberts acts. This is who we are. So you correct it, but you give them something bigger than that. It's about their identity in that moment. It's not just about a behavior because you could try. It's nothing more frustrating as a parent if all it is is you do this because I'm older and you're younger and you do what I say. What if it was something bigger than that? What if there was a bigger thing that God had for you in your life with your children? I mean, set a vision for it. One of the things that we do with our family, and I want to encourage you, there's some handles to this part. Hey, what if you begin to lay out, hey, these are some of the values that we as a family are going to live out. This is a vision about who we are. Like what if in the context of prayer, whether it's you and your spouse or just by yourself if you're a single parent, you said, hey, no, this is what we're going to be about. What are the things you value? What are the things that you want to produce? Who do you want to be? Maybe it's a statement. Maybe it's three or four words. Write them down. Put them on your, your refrigerator. Talk about them one, every once in a while at the dinner table. When you do something, you're just something, point to the value. Say, hey kids, is it about adventure? Like, do you wanna be about adventure? Do you wanna be about trying new things? Do you wanna be about a family who's generous, a, a family who is loving, whatever it may be, a family who is excellent and who works hard at what they do? Like, what is the value so that when you speak to it, you say, hey, that's because of who we are. Hey kids, we're all about trying something new. So today, tonight for dinner, we're having sushi. You know what I mean? It's like, because we value doing new things, whatever it is. And you correct the behavior. For our, one of our kid, big things in the Roberts family, we're people of honor. We honor, no matter what, because God instructs us to honor. So when my little boy crew gets upset at my wife and screams and goes, ah, and goes, stupid, because that's what he says. I can't believe it. it comes out of this two and a half year old's mouth, and he knows how to use it. I correct him. I say, young man, no, 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 no. We do not do that, son. Listen, you understand you are one of four. I could lose one of you, and I would be okay. But we do not, we do not dishonor. That's not, because crew, that's not who you are. 
Crew, you're a man of honor. We honor in this house. What am I? I'm speaking to the vision. Crew, it's bigger than that, buddy. It's not just about the behavior. What are the values? Like, sit, take some moments in the context of here. Write down a couple of things. Man, this is what we are about. This is what we want to live for. This is how we want to treat people. And write that out. Start there. But then there's even something even cooler you can do as a parent because there's the macro vision of a family. But then the beautiful thing is every one of the children that you have has a unique vision and call in their life. You know, no kid's the same, the way they learn, the way they interact, how they respond. But the call of God on their life is super cool and different and unique from all your other kids. So maybe even with some of your older ones, take them down a journey, a path of helping them discover who God called them to be. Put them on a journey about who you want them to become and the people they want, the people they want to, to be and, and do. There's this, um, in this book, you maybe have heard of it before, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by an author named Stephen Covey. He, he recommends this exercise that people would do. It's called the funeral exercise. He goes, hey, imagine you're at a funeral and it's beautiful and there's these flowers and all these people, uh, but then you realize the funeral's for you. He's like, what would you want people to say about you at your funeral? What would you want to say about what you accomplished, what you learned, how you treated people, your experiences? And he says, write them down and then let that be the goal, the vision for your life to kind of begin to make changes today to get there. And the same way we can do something similar with our kids. Imagine though a day where you are, uh, it's the last day where they're leaving your house and no longer will they be in your home and you're not going to be fully responsible. That day where like you're giving them a hug and a kiss because they're getting ready to go to the Uber, to go to the airport, to go to college. Or the day you take your little girl finally to college in the dorm room and you're hugging her and you're saying goodbye. Or that moment where they're getting ready to get married. That moment where no longer will the parent relationship look exactly the same. It's different. They're on their own. In that moment right there, who do you wish that child would have been? What do you want them to have known? What experiences would you have wanted them to have? What skills would you have wanted them to learn? Like begin to figure, write those things out in the same way you write in the context of prayer, your family values. What about in the context of prayer, you begin to write out those type of answers. Now I say prayer because this isn't about living vicariously through your child, right? And that they would accomplish things that you didn't. It's an understanding that this is again, an eternal being with a unique purpose and call. So God, who do I want to be? But I have, I have them in the notes so you can scan the QR codes if you want to get them later. But take it in the context of prayer, answer the question. Hey, in that moment, who do I want my kid to be? What do I want them to know how to do? What skills do I want them to have? What experiences would I want them to have? You know, for me, we talk about this, the Roberts children, I want all of my kids to know how to get work with their hands because I do not know how to do that. I want to be able to change a tire. I want to be able to learn how to change an oil. Uh, I know how to call AAA. And so I will teach them that. So annual membership and then keeping that number on speed dial. It's pretty simple. But I, just because I don't know how to do it doesn't mean I can't set that as a goal. I'll invite some of my friends who know how to do it. Say, hey, we're going to go over so-and-so's house. They're going to teach you how to change a tire. So you know what? We're going to learn that. Experiences. I want my kids to go on mission trips. I want them to see what poverty and things look like in a third world country. I want to have a global perspective. Write those things down. It's a vision. It's a clear path. And allow that to fuel the way you parent your children. It becomes more intentional at that point than just reactional because that's what God has for you. He wants you to have a parent who leads with vision. He wants you to be a parent, a mom and a dad who has God and Jesus at the center of your life. And the last thing is this, and it's very, very important. As a parent, he wants you to establish a rhythm of rest. Look what the verse says here. It says, walking at the pace and the rhythm that he laid out. Pace and the rhythm that he laid out. As a parent, you're going hard. 
You're doing a lot, but you gotta rest. You have to learn how to rest, rest, rest. Don't work through your lunch, take your lunch. Like take a moment to breathe, go walk, sit at a park bench, just let your mind just rest for a second. Go in your car, put on a worship song, take vacation, take breaks. We have to learn how to breathe. We have to learn how to rest. There is a rhythm that God has for your family. And it is not one where you are living life to the very edge of the paper and there is no margin. When there's no margin, things are very, very thin. And so something very, very small that can happen becomes very, very big and bad when there is no margin. About uh, two weeks ago, my wife just barely grazed uh, a, the curb of, uh, uh, on the street and it popped a tire. So I called AAA. <laughs> the kids were with us. She's like, do you wanna just change this thing right now? I said, baby, she's like, it's gonna take them 40 minutes to get here. I'm like, yeah, I could spend 40 minutes trying to get the tire out and figure out how to do it with the kids screaming all of them. And I could be like, really, our marriage could go through something. You think our marriage could go through this right now, Gabrielle? Or we could just wait the 40 minutes and be okay. I was like, let's wait the 40 minutes and call AAA. But it's funny, so we go, we get a change and I take it to, you know, we take it to this tire spot. And the guy said, he said, look how thin your tire is. He said, it's so thin that something very, very small nicked it and it put a hole in it. And I thought, wow, isn't that true about life sometimes? You live life so small and with so little margin. And I know I'm, I'm like, I'm number one. Here, God, speak to me on this, Jesus. That something very, very small has a big impact because there's been no margin in my life. So as a parent, we have to learn how to breathe and rest. You know, there's this verse in the Bible. It's found in Psalms 127 verse four and it has this really cool thought and, and paints this picture of what it's like to be a parent. I'm gonna read it for you. It says, children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. There you go, parents. There's your tattoo. There's it right there if you got kids. Arrows, right? It's like a warrior with arrows in his hands. That's what it's like to be a parent. With that kind of understanding, there was this article that we came across and this guy, he was the, he's the head archery coach of Team USA. And they were talking about, you know, the, the, the specifics of being a world-class archer. And he began to talk about how important breathing is to your drawing arc. And he goes on and I want to quote him here. This is what he says. He says, the correct method of breathing is an essential part of control. Most archers know less about breathing than any other area of fundamentals. Therefore, the archer who understands breathing and its impact on performance has a leg up on every other single archer. Moral of the story. If me as a mom and dad, I'm an archer, and I am called to take the arrows, my children that God has given me, and I'm to point them successfully in the direction of a vision and a call that is on their life. And if I'm to pull back so that they might hit the target and at the center is Jesus Christ, in order to do that successfully and with some level of control, I have to learn how to breathe. I have to learn how to rest, to take deep breaths, and have moments because if I'm not, it's chaotic. See, for most parents, this is why some of the things that I've given you handles that try to apply, you're like, can't do that, can't do that, don't have time, don't have time, don't have time to get away, don't have time to make lists, don't have time to do a devotional. Why? Because you've got no margin. If you would just breathe and be intentional. See, that's what God does. See, God leads in chaos. Like if we look back again to the book of Genesis, it says that he came to, and in the first six days, he spoke, right? And the word actually in Hebrew, it means that he breathed out. But on the seventh day, it says that God rested. 
Exodus 31, 17, I love this. This is how it describes it, this moment for God. It says, yes, because in six days God made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he stopped and took a long, deep breath. God didn't need to stop and take a deep breath because he's tired. God did it to set an example for you and for me that you can't work all the time without resting. You can't breathe out all the time unless you take moments where you, you breathe in. Do you have to work? Yes, you have to work. Being a parent is hard, it's difficult, and it takes a lot of time and energy. So this is not a stamp of approval so that I says, well, I gotta go play video games instead of being with my kids all the time because Pastor Mike said I gotta breathe. No, that's not what I'm saying. This isn't for the mom who goes out every weekend with her girlfriends because she needs her time with her girls instead of spending time with her children. That's not, my, that's not what Pastor Mike is saying here. You're working, you're working hard, you're working jobs, you're training your kids, you're taking them to school, you're washing little tushies, you're doing whatever you gotta do. But there has to be moments where you are intentionally resting and breathing. God leads in chaos when he is rested. You can't lead in chaos unless you are rested. God teaches us, he trains us. Take a deep breath. So what does that look like? Because Mike, that means I might have to change everything about what I do, I know. But I say change everything if it keeps you from doing what matters the most. Because normal just isn't working. So can I give you some handles? Think of it like this. Think of rest uh, daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly. Like daily, what's a moment where you just rest? Like I said, it might be a walk around the park. It might be a moment where you sit in your car for 10 minutes. It might be a moment where it's just you and Jesus in the morning, but a moment where you just breathe and you rest. You're not on your phone. You're not checking things out. You're just being. Think of it in terms of a week. What can I do in the week where I can build in? The, the Bible speaks to Sabbath. It's a big deal. But is there a way for me to begin to work in once a week, uh, once a week where we just do nothing? And it's not just do nothing without your kids. It might be do nothing with them. Because sometimes the other thing we have to do is we have to practice the art of doing nothing. Like when, did it got, when is it a bad thing to not be scheduled out all the time? Like there have to be moments where if kids have to learn, hey, it's okay to not have something on the docket. We have to learn weekly, monthly. What's something maybe a little bit more than what you do on a week where you just get away for a moment? Yearly, plan out your vacations. Even it's to staycation. Even it's whatever it is, but don't wait till the last minute where you got four weeks built up a vacation at the end of the year as if that's a great thing. Like you're a hard worker. It's like, no, you're not taking your rest. You're not healthy. So take it. Be intentional with it. Set it by faith. Hey, God, I'm going to set time out. I don't have the money to go on vacation, but I'm going to put this time in, and maybe you'll provide for God. If this is such a big deal to you, put them to the test. See what happens. Learn it. And when did we learn that we have to always be doing something? My wife and I were talking about maybe going on vacation at the end of the year to, to go somewhere where there's snow, because I got three kids who have never seen it. One of them has, three have not. I'm like, it would be cool. And so we're looking at these different areas, and I found myself saying about the one location, but there's nothing to do there. I mean, what are we going to do? Just hang out together and go sledding? Like, <laughs> is that all? It's like, is that such a bad thing, Michael? Do we have to be overly scheduled? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying don't have experiences. I'm not saying don't have fun and try different things. But I am saying you have to be intentional about the rest that you bring in your life. You have to teach your kids, hey, breathe. We're going to be all right. Prioritize family time together. That's another great thing you do. Do a family night. We all get together. Maybe you watch a movie or you get together, you play a game. Everyone, you got to lock up everybody's phones. I'm not saying time, time together where everyone's on a, a different electronic device. No, like do it. Now, they may feel like anarchy in the beginning and they might have like withdrawals. You know what I mean? Serious so start shaking and just going crazy and drawing on the walls. Well, that's okay. That's necessary because you got to teach them. Hey, no. It's okay to not have to do something sometimes. 
Practice the art of doing nothing. And again, if you don't know, ask. Ask moms and dads that have gone ahead of you, that have gone before you. Say, hey, how are you doing this? How are you finding rest? Ask a parent who looks more rested than you and has way more children than you do right now. And say, hey, how are you doing that? Will you please teach me? Because that's what church is about. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Look at your mom and your dad. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to, to be a part of a young person's life to help lead them and guide them into what God has for them. It's response, there's a responsibility to it. It's complicated. A lot of times God's blessings come with complications. Children are one of them. There's nothing more bigger blessing in the world, but there's nothing more complicated to your life than a child. But you're graced for it. God's called you to do it. And how they came into your life does not matter. Now what matters is there's an eternal being that is with you in your home. Lead them. Create an environment. Put the pattern, a cadence, a rhythm to your family. Make God the center. Live it out. Invite them to imitate it along with you. Lead with vision. Point them in the direction that God has called you as a family to live and God has uniquely called them to live. Speak to it all the time. Don't just say, no, don't do that. Say, you don't do that because that's not who you are. That's not who we are. That's not how we treat people. That's not how we approach life. I don't care if so-and-so does that. That's not who we are. We don't watch that. We don't listen to that because that is not who we are. I can't speak to that person's family. I can speak to mine. There's a guy by the name of Joshua. He's leading his family amongst a large group of people. And he said, look, y'all do you. But as far as me and my house is concerned, we serve God. You have control over your family. God has given you a stewardship and a responsibility with it. Keep God at the center. Lead with vision. Fight for rest. I'm using that word intentionally. Fight for it. You got to be intentional with rest. You got to take care of yourself. It's the reason why when you're on an airplane, they say, hey, if those things jump, pop down, put it on yourself, you go put it on someone else. Because I can't take of anybody else if I if I'm, can't breathe. Take care of yourself. Teach your children how to rest. And watch, I know it doesn't make sense. I do less, but watch you accomplish more. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it speaks to this idea of an ax. He said, hey, if an ax is dull, it's gonna take more work and be a lot harder to do it. But if you pause and you sharpen it with wisdom, you accomplish more with less work. Like rest is that way. You doesn't, it doesn't make sense. I do less, but I accomplish more. Yeah, yeah. It's about sharpening an ax. And the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life, wants to come into your decision-making, wants to come into your planning and strategizing as a parent. And he wants to sharpen your ax a little bit. So that's what today is, right? It's just sharpening your ax a little bit. It's teaching you. It's, it's like, hey, listen, hey, we got to get a little bit better here. But watch as you begin to apply some of these things, how this rhythm and this peace comes into your house. Not that it won't get crazy. Not that things, children ain't going to act like they straight up crazy. But you're going to create this rhythm and pattern. And they're going to grow. And they're going to flourish. And they're going to accomplish everything that God has for them. Amen? Can I pray for you this morning? Can you stand up on your feet, please? Um, if you don't mind, hey, bow your head, close your eyes for just a moment. I only do that to help maybe let us focus. But I want to pray for you as a parent, if that's okay. I want to pray that whatever it is that, whatever adjustments you need to make, thing, questions you need to ask people, whatever it is, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit's going to meet you right where you're at. 
Because this life of being a parent isn't one you do on your own. The Holy Spirit's with you. And you have to remind yourself, and I'm gonna give this to you because this should be very, very hopeful for you. You gotta remember that that child is also God's son. It's also God's daughter. So he wants his will for that life more than me, you do. I mean, God wants more for my children than I do. And so he's not trying to withhold anything from you. He wants to partner with you to equip you. And here's an important part, to grace you, to anoint you, to actually lead in a way that honors him and builds their children up. He's with you. So guess what? We're gonna have to ask for help. And the Holy Spirit's gonna come in this moment and he's gonna help you. He's gonna teach you. He's gonna lead you. He's gonna show you ways to sharpen your axe. He's gonna show you ways to lead with vision. Some of you, as I pray, he's gonna give you the values that you need to live by. For some of you, as I begin to pray, he's gonna give you a grace and a wisdom of what you need to do to begin to establish a rhythm of rest. For some of you, he's gonna show you right now, there's gonna be a conviction. You're gonna leave here and you're gonna have a conviction to get God at the center of your family's life. It's not gonna be something I do or say, it's gonna be something God does on the inside of you. So come on, right now with an open heart, come on, let's, let's pray that over you right now. God, here we are. Holy Spirit, you are the helper. You are the counselor. You are the teacher. And right now, we just release you now, right now, into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts. God, I bless these parents. May their hands, Father Bob, be strengthened right now. I pray supernatural energy and strength to these parents. God, I pray for a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of discernment, a spirit of understanding, Father, that would make all decisions. God, I pray for a conviction to put you first and keep you at the center of their life. God, I pray for an anointing and a grace right now. God, I pray against fear. I pray against anxiety, whatever, whatever is making its way into the decision-making of our children, and I just speak peace right now. Peace. We will not make decisions out of confusion. We will not make decisions about our children out of fear. We will make decisions out of faith and wisdom. So God, I pray right now, I pray a spirit of faith, on these parents, I pray, pray a spirit of wisdom right now in Jesus' name. And I pray for this. Their words that would be anointed. Their ideas would be anointed. Right now, I pray for the single mom, the single dad. Right now, I think you are you giving them energy and strategy. I pray people that will come alongside of them to lift up their hands as parents. They will lift up their hands as, for, for their children. And they would find people coming into their lives and helping them out. I pray it right now. I pray for the parent who has shared custody, who has no control over their kids when they're in another home. But God, I think that in their home, I pray that the, the saturation of who you are in their home, that when their kids are there, even if it's for a day or two days a week or once a month, would be so life-changing that even when they're in an environment, that is opposite of you, your word would stand true in their heart, and God, you would keep them solid, and you would keep them anchored in you. I pray for that parent right now in Jesus' name. God, I pray for the parent whose son and daughter right now is out doing a thing that they're not supposed to do. God, no one knows the heart of a, a father who has a prodigal son or daughter like you do, God. You have that heart. Your heart breaks for your children that aren't doing what they're called to do. I pray for those parents right now in Jesus' name. And I pray a new spirit of faith. God, the faith that you told in that story where the father just stood, waited for his son to come to his senses. I pray an anchoring to that parent. I pray for a new renewal of faith and a spirit of strength and prayers that will come out. And we thank you that you are not done with our children, God, that you that began a good work in them would be faithful to complete it. And no matter how far they go, God, they can never outrun you. And so we bind your perfect will around their life right now in Jesus' name. I pray that right now. May I pray? I pray a blessing over our children in this house, the children of City Church, California. We think that our children grow in wisdom, favor, and stature in the eyes of you and man. God, we think that your angels watch over and protect our children, keep them from harm. We think that by the stripes of Jesus, our children are healed. God, we think that our children would know you personally. 
love you with a whole heart and a willing mind. We think that our children are smart. They think well. They're problem solvers. They have the mind of Christ. Our children are bold, fearless, and courageous because they know you are with them. We think that our children are good friends, and we pray great friends into our children's lives at every stage of their life. Right now, God, they are yours. Anoint these parents in Jesus' name. I offer one invitation before we're done, and that is an invitation to make God the center of your life. Some of you, that hasn't been the case. Maybe you grew up in a family or home where God just really wasn't, that wasn't a thing. But you're like that house. You did everything you knew to do to make your house and life look amazing. But it's a foundational issue. And you see it, you're struggling and you're hurting and you're confused and you're angry. Man, make a decision today to put Jesus at the center of your life. The Bible says that when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, in other words, what you're saying, you're saying is, hey God, I've done everything I know how to do. It's not working. So I'm gonna follow you. And you believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God. In other words, there's no way that you can make Jesus the center of your life without a sacrifice because of the sin that was in your life. Hey, we've all sinned, we've all made mistakes. But because of that, Jesus Christ came to the cross and he died and he was risen again. And because of that price that was paid, you can now make a relationship with God and make him the Lord and the center of your life. So I'm gonna count the three and in this place and you're in this room or with us online, you have never made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to make him the center of everything. I want you to raise your hand as a sign of, of dedication, as a sign of saying, no, I'm gonna make a change today. And we're gonna pray together. So on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, I'm gonna make Jesus the center of my life. Two, I've made a lot of things the center of my life and it hasn't worked out, but today I'm gonna be different. Three, would you raise your hand for me this morning and online, man, click that link. Anyone in this room? See, I'm making a decision today to make Jesus. Thank you, I see that hand in the back. Thank you so much. I see that hand over there. Thank you so much. Come on, anybody else? I see that hand. Thank you very much. Come on. It's everything, it's everything. If you raise your hand, I want to say thank you so much. It's the greatest decision you ever make. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and we're all going to say it together. There's nothing special about the prayer. I'm simply going to give words to what you're feeling on the inside. And I want everyone else to say it because I want you to understand something. You're no longer alone. You're in this with a group of people that we're not perfect, but we've made this decision, and we're going in the same direction together. Yeah? So can we bow our heads? Can we pray this? Repeat this prayer after me. And if you've made that, raise your hand. Come on. Expect things to be different. Expect God to speak to you. Expect changes in, a, in things the way you, you, you felt and the, and the things that you've been struggling with. Expect those things no longer to have a grip in your life. You got a vision for your life now. You got a purpose to your life now. There's more that God's called you to do. Come on, let's pray this together. Everyone with me say, thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. I believe that you're the son of God. Forgive me, Father, of my sins. I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.